Filthy Henry and the Impossible Victim, Chapter 20. Shelley searched around the room for a key to open the cell door. There was none to be found, which sort of contradicted every Hollywood movie she had ever seen. In a film, the keys to any jail were always located on a nice wooden hook or a table currently being used for some sort of card game. It had always made a stupid sort of sense. Movies, which had a guard carrying the cell key with him at all times, generally resulted in said guard being pickpocketed, which made her think about the skitter who had been standing watch outside the door. She ran back out to the pile of dust that had once been a skitter and kicked it apart with her foot. Nothing. No joy, Miak shouted from his cell. She came back inside and looked at him. Nope, she said, nothing at all. Then again, there wouldn't be much point even if I did find the key. Oh, why is that? She pointed at the bars. The cell clearly had a door built into it. But of a lock there was no sign, not even a handle. It just seemed to be a row of bars held in place. Without much hope, Shelley tugged on the door experimentally and was surprised that she was surprised it did not open. Don't you think I tried that already? Miak said. I mean, really now, you mortals. Actually, well, why are you down here? I work with Henry, the fairy detective, Shelley said. Your father hired us to figure out who killed you. Well, rather Dagda did. Is he your grandfather? How does that work with gods? Killed me? You can't kill a god. That's what Henry said. But then it seemed like somebody had managed it with you. Or at least somebody that looked like you. Anyway, Henry already figured you weren't dead and decided to send me to look for you while he acted as a diversion in front of Balor. Miak frowned. You keep saying Henry. Do you mean filthy Henry? The half-breed? It had always bothered Shelley that the fairy world referred to filthy Henry by that title. Not that she had any reason to get offended. The fairy detective was the most infuriatingly annoying person she had ever met. But he managed to keep the human and fairy worlds from colliding with each other and had, at least since she had known him, stopped a maniac vampire from causing a leprechaun invasion of Ireland. Yet still the races all stuck with calling him Filthy Henry to make sure he knew they thought he was an abomination. Not that the name bothered the fairy detective either, since he used it himself to spite the fairy folk. But there was a principle to it all. Yes, him, Henry, the fairy detective, Shelley said. She looked around for anything in the room that might be used to pry open the cell door. Aside from more cells, the only other thing in the holding area was one of the glowing orbs. I wonder, Shelley said, as she walked over and lifted the orb off the wall bracket. Oh, you don't want to mess with those, the young god said to her. Valor's toys are generally something he doesn't like others playing with, least of all mortals. Just be quiet while this mortal gets you out of here, Shelley said. With the orb raised over her head, she smashed it against the wall, and just like before, all the little spirits within swirled around in the air. Hey, I need your help, she said. The skulls all drifted around in front of her and bobbed up and down. Can you open that cell door for me? Or destroy it like your friends did the skitter? Just get rid of it, basically. Then you're free to go. As one, the flock of skulls flew towards the bars. Miak stepped back from them and stared as they swarmed around the metal barrier. In a matter of seconds, 
There was not one single bar left on the cell door. One of the skulls broke away from the others and floated back over to Shelley. Thank you, she said. The skull seemed to smile at her, a feat not easily accomplished without skin and muscles, then rejoined its brothers and sisters. They all faded away from sight, leaving behind a seemingly impressed Meek. Well, now, aren't you just full of surprises, the young god said. Shelley could feel the smile form on her face. It was not every day that you received praise from a god, pagan or otherwise. Not that she had had a great deal of faith in some sort of omnipotent single deity, but growing up in a very Christian-oriented house tends to leave its mark regardless. All right, let's get cracking then, Shelley said to Meek. The young god gestured with an over-the-top wave towards the open door. Lead on, my lady, he said. Shelley looked confused for a moment. Why can't you just use magic to get us out of here? Be a lot easier. Well, don't you think if I'd my magical powers I would have escaped before now? I'm in Balor's domain. The gods have no power down here. With the possible exception of Dagda. But he'd need to have some of his realm down here with him. So that means Henry was right, she said. If you don't have any magic down here, then none of the other gods know you're down here either. It really is the perfect place to keep you hidden, without having to figure out a way to actually kill you. Which means, Meek said, stepping out from his cell, we need to get going. And since I was brought here by force, we are back to the whole you leading thing. But what if we run into one of the other dark gods? You've absolutely nothing you can do, magic-wise. Nope, Meek said with a shake of his head. Although I wouldn't worry too much about running into anyone other than Brez or Balor down here. Why is that? Balor blames everyone else for his defeat, even his own gods. He figures they should have fought better, so even though they're all imprisoned down here, the Great Ugly One keeps them all confined another floor down as further punishment for failing him. And what about Brez? Meek smiled. Balor allows him to stay up so he has somebody to torture. Plus, Brez is a sneaky one. Sometimes he actually comes up with plans that Balor wants to hear. Other times he just plain steals ideas from the gods of floor below and passes them off as his own. Anyway, bottom line is, if you can get us back to the surface without going near the throne room, we shouldn't run into any other dark gods. Shelley looked around for any of the little brown mud balls that had been helping her up to this point. Out in the corridor, she spotted one rolling around in circles. Henry had clearly just created them to search for Meek. Once the job was completed, they had nothing else to do but entertain themselves. Hey, um, ball? Shelley said to the moving mud sphere. It stopped circling and seemed to line itself up so that it was directly in front of the doorway. Can you guide us back to the spiral stairway? The one that leads to the surface? The ball bounced on the spot twice, then started to roll away. Let's get going then, Shelley said, running after it. Meek kept pace with her as they wound their way through the underground castle, guided by a little ball of mud. As prison breaks went, it was not exactly flawless, but considering it was her first time, Shelley was pleased with how it had gone so far. Now all they needed to do was actually get out of the place to mark it down as 100% successful. Trent had started to panic. There had been no sign of Shelley at all and every so often he spied another one of those little mud balls making its way along the stone floor.
Then he heard a promising sound. Footsteps up ahead, moving with speed and headed in his direction. They appeared to be coming from a hallway to the left. Finally, Trent said. He gestured to the skitters to form up behind him. Together they crept along the wall and stopped at the corner. The footsteps came closer. From here, it sounded like three people. Trent tensed his body, ready to dive out and grab Shelley by surprise. Two mud balls rolled past, coming out of the same corridor, and carried on going without indicating they had spotted the guard at all. He held his breath and counted down from ten. As he reached one, the footsteps were on the other side of the wall. Trent dove out from his cover, hands stretched before him to grab onto Shelley and pull her to the ground. It all went so well, until the world spun out of control. A hand shot out, grabbed Trent by his throat and firmly gripped him so that breathing became an uncomfortable necessity. Without giving him time to see who owned said hand, the guard was lifted off his feet, twirled around in the air and forcefully slammed into a wall so that the wind was knocked out of him. Then, to make sure that he had truly expelled any oxygen in his lungs, Trent was hurled down to the stone floor with such force that he was sure something in his spine cracked. As he lay there, dazed, confused and gasping for air, a boot was lodged under his chin, pressing down on his windpipe. Try that again, sunshine, and I won't be as nice next time, a voice that promised pain said. Trent looked up into the cold, dark blue eyes of the deer. The assassin gave his foot a little twist before taking it off the guard's throat. The guard had gently massaged the skin where the boot had been and winced at the pain. You really don't know how to play nice, do you? Trent said. The deer moved half an inch, a faint, but enough to cause Trent to seriously reconsider his remark and roll along the floor in search of some safety. When he bumped into one of the skitter's legs, the guard had climbed shakily back up to his feet. So, no luck finding her then? Trent asked the deer. The assassin shook his head once and started to walk down the corridor. Without any real plan or common sense, Trent decided that it might just be best if he followed the killer. At least that way, it would be easier to avoid getting slammed into the ground again by mistake. If it had been a mistake to begin with, of course. The problem with the underground castle, aside from it not having any fairy tale style towers with romantic views to admire, was that every single bit of it looked identical to every other bit. At least that was Shelley's personal take on things. They had been following the tiny little mud ball for what seemed like an age and was in reality only a few minutes. She was unable to judge from the surrounding decor how much further they had to go. There were lessons to be learned from this, like always carry a small stick of chalk around with you just in case you need to draw some handy direction arrows. Mia had also proved less than useful with the whole escape plan. It seemed as if he had just been thrown into the cell, having never used the eyes in his head to look about the place. He knew nothing and had no magic. It had started to occur to Shelley that the better idea would have been to leave him in his cell so that Balor and Brez never knew he escaped and just get to the surface on her own so that she could let Dagda know the story. Of course, as they turned the same corner for the seventh time, even though she knew it was not the same corner but just a grim copy of every other corner in the castle, Shelley wondered how Henry was getting on. The fairy detective was not known for his skills of diplomacy when it came to inhabitants of the fairy world. 
Chances were, the filthy Henry had already annoyed the dark gods to the point that they seriously wanted to smite him. All the while confident that things were going according to his very detective plan. Then again, it was rare that filthy Henry actually had a plan or shared such things with Shelley. She was certain that 90% of the time, Henry relied on pure dumb luck to get him out of bad situations. The other 10% of the time was possibly just him winging it. As they ran through a little intersection of hallways, Shelley was sure she heard some noises coming from the left. Thankfully the mud balls took the right corridor. You hear that? She asked Miak. The healing god nodded. I'm not really used to relying just on the mortal senses. If we were topside, I'd just know what was down that way. Well, you're not much good to me right now, Shelley said, as she glanced back over her shoulder. Behind Miak, coming down the other corridor, she spotted four skitters and two humans. Trent being one, and the other being that nutjob that had tried to kill Filthy Henry in the Garda station. Time to pick up the pace, she said. They both started to run faster than they had before, the little mud ball rolling along between them. As they passed one of the glowing orbs, Shelley pulled it off the wall and held it up in front of her face. I need you guys to help me distract what's behind us, she said to the orb's occupants, before smashing it on the wall. The souls contained within spread through the air and raced back down the corridor. She didn't bother to check what they did, since the last two times they'd done the best damn job anybody could have asked tortured souls to do. A loud hiss of something in pain gave her a good indication that at least one of the skitters was being attacked by the little blue skulls. I have an idea, Shelley said to Mia as they kept going. We need the big guns. You follow the ball to the exit and get up top. At the next fork or T-junction or whatever, we split up. I will try to get those guys behind us to follow me. You got it? I feel that I should insist on not letting you do that, Miak said. But without my magic, I have to admit I'm feeling... fear. So yes, great idea. I'll run off and leave you here to save the day. Shelley nodded at the god. Up ahead a T-junction waited. The little ball took the left branch. Miak followed it without so much as a word of thanks to Shelley. Now let's hope this works, she said. She started running down the other corridor. Trent had never seen anything like it before in his life, and his life had recently had a lot of never-before-seen things going on in it. Shelley had grabbed one of the glowing balls from the wall and smashed it open, which was a dumb move as near as he could tell, until the blue skulls of death had appeared out of thin air and raced towards the skitters. The hideous creatures had swatted about their bodies as the skulls swirled around them. Even the deer had seemed taken aback by what was happening. As Trent watched, four of the skulls attacked one of the skitters and reduced it to nothing almost instantly. With a loud hiss, the rest of the creatures ran back down the hallway, followed by the skulls. Well, that was interesting, the deer said, as he checked around his immediate person. Interesting, Trent said, doing likewise to make sure no skulls lingered. It was terrifying. The deer ignored what he had said. His stare was focused directly ahead. Gotcha, he said. Trent looked up and saw Shelley peering around a corner at them. At the sight of the assassin, she vanished down the hallway. For a moment, Trent felt a pang of guilt for the woman as he ran after the deer. Whatever the psychopath had planned would not be a pleasant experience. But on the upside, at least if it happened to Shelley, then nothing would be happening to Trent. 
Rez looked at the muddy spot on the ground before him and glared at it. Yet another of the little mud balls that merely appeared to be the female maggot. Nothing more than her essence in a poorly animated golem, created by a half-breed that should not have such abilities to begin with, let alone be able to use such unworthy gifts to trick a god. The dark god had spent the last half hour trying to find the half-breed's assistant before either of the other mortals in the underkeep, mainly so that he could present her to Balor and then hopefully be the one who extinguished the flame of life in her right before Filthy Henry. But every time he focused on her to figure out her location, it had just been another mud ball. Each one that he destroyed obviously increased his chances of finding her, but it lacked the sense of satisfaction he wanted from rubbing her out completely. Half-breed, he hissed under his breath and focused his thoughts again. This was a new experience for the Dark God. In the good old days, there was no need to hunt down your victims. They generally cowered in fear under a bed or table and conveniently waited for their impending doom. Back before the usurper arrived and started to defend the mindless mortals, now they had grown spines, or at least hardened the ones they already had, and tried to escape from the rightful doings of a deity. How times had changed. In his mind, Rez saw the multitude of little orange dots moving about the place, minus one now that another ball had been splattered under his foot. It was impossible to tell any of them apart. Then three little dots caught his attention. They all moved in the same direction, but one was a little bit ahead of the other two. None of the other dots had acted like this yet. They had all been solo adventure seekers. After the fifth ball of mud, it had become obvious that Filthy Henry had a few tricks up his sleeve. But three? Three suggested something else. Three hinted that maybe one of the dots was the female, and the other two were Trent and the deer. Let's just see, Rez said as he extended his right arm and flexed his fingers. Timing would be important with this teleport. He wanted to give her no chance to escape or to evade capture, which meant that Brez did not have to catch her, rather just extend his hand at the right moment. The Dark God teleported and firmly gripped a human neck in his fingers so that he could lift the person off the ground. He heard a strangled sound as feeble hands beat weakly against his arm. Shelley, Rez said, sneering. Such a pleasure to meet you once again. Behind her, Brez spotted Trent and the deer running down the corridor. At the sight of the god, they stopped, but did not kneel and prostrate themselves before him. Yet another thing that Brez missed from the old days. Hand her over, the deer said. Brez frowned and looked from the struggling Shelley to the stupid assassin. I'm sorry, the dark god said. I could have sworn that you just gave me an order. Trent had taken a subtle but noticeable step back away from his maggot mate. A wise move in Brez's book. You said find the girl, and I found her. You can't just magic yourself in at the last minute and steal all the glory. She's mine. I'll bring her before Balor and get the reward for the effort. Now, hand her over. Gods by their very nature, tended to live for a very, very, very long time. Once they got over the initial century, they'd experienced more or less everything that life had to offer, which was why they spent their decades coming up with new ways to keep entertained. Most of them, at least the goody-goody ones that inhabited the planet these days, 
played around with paupers and peasants and tried to elevate their status to kingly proportions for the good of the people. But their longevity meant that very few things caught them truly by surprise. Right then, Brez was caught very much by surprise. Here was a mortal giving instructions to a god. What next? Mortals asking to be worshipped by gods? So you're giving me an order, is that it? Brez asked, just to be sure. Trent had retreated further and was now trying very hard to flatten himself against the wall. The deer moved half an inch forward and held his knife before him. No, I'm telling you how it is. Brez smiled. It seemed that the world still had something new to offer him, even after all these years. He released his grip on Shelley and took a couple of steps away from her. She, however, remained in the exact same struggling position, suspended in the air by magical means. Proceed, maggot, Brez said, giving a sweeping gesture to the deer. Without even the common decency to second-guess what was going on, the assassin moved towards Shelley. Brez held up his left hand and clicked his fingers. The deer stopped walking forward, clearly not of his own volition. He looked down at his feet, confused, then tilted his body to the left. Neither foot moved an inch, as if they were both glued to the stone floor. Brez moved closer to the killer and looked him directly in the eye. You see, your maggot imagination so limited, the dark god said. An entire race that believes killing needs to involve blades and bullets. When it could be so much more entertaining. Release me, the deer said, before his mouth suddenly closed tightly. He reached up and tried to pry his lips open but failed miserably. You think this is all going to end well for you, Brez said. It's not. For instance, why would I burn you alive when I can simply teleport every single tiny part of you and scatter it to the wind? Imagine that. He tapped the deer on the forehead twice. From the point of contact, a little blue light appeared that spread across the killer's body like a strange map, made up completely of glowing lines. In a matter of seconds, the deer's entire body was covered. As the lines reached his feet, they started to glow brighter. Just imagine being teleported, bit by tiny bit, but not all to the same location. Goodbye, my dear, Brez said and clicked his fingers. The deer screamed as best he could with a magically sealed mouth. Each of the lines started to glow intensely before sections of the killer vanished from sight, like a disturbing three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle being broken up. As each piece was removed, leaving behind huge wounds, his captured screams grew louder, until all at once, every single part of the deer's body vanished. Only his head was left behind, which dropped to the ground like an unwanted football of horror. Shelley ceased her struggles and stared at the head. The head stared right back at her. Brez walked over and looked down at the deer's head. The deer moved his eyes and looked up at the dark god. Then again, there is always little pleasures to be taken from killing, Brez said. He brought up his right foot and stomped down on the deer's head. By some magical means the head just disappeared beneath, leaving no trace. Shelley screamed and turned her head away from the scene. Brez looked down the corridor at Trent who had remained stationary during the entire affair. I don't need to teach you manners as well, do I? He asked. Without further instruction, the maggot dropped to his knees and started to press his forehead on the floor. No, no, a wise and powerful one, Trent said. Good, Brez said. Now bring her. 
I don't want to waste any more magic on maggots today. He turned and started to make his way to the throne room. There was no need to look behind and see if Trent had obeyed. From the sounds of Shelley's protests, Brez knew that finally the maggots were obeying their betters once again. Filthy Henry, The Impossible Victim, is book two of the Filthy Henry series by Derek Power. This completely free audiobook version was narrated by Niall Milton. Other Filthy Henry books are available to buy on Amazon Kindle.